Nearly 80% of single mothers are in paid employment. 84% have completed Year 12 and have a university degree or a TAFE qualification. That's according to a recent survey of single mothers in this country. But interestingly, despite their work status and educational achievements, many single mothers say they are really worried about their long-term financial security. How important is shifting attitudes to changing that situation? Jenny Davidson is the CEO of the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children. Jenny, welcome to Life Matters. Good morning, Hilary. Lovely to be here. And Lisa Hardigan is a single mum who works in human resources. Lisa, welcome. Thank you very much. Lisa, I'll come to you if I can first. Tell me a bit about how your life changed when you became a single mum in terms of the security that you had built up. Sure. I'd been in a long-term relationship for uh, many, many years and... uh, set myself up financially about to you know we just bought an investment property and uh, thought that everything was uh, was looking rosy for the future um, and all of a sudden that was uh, that was taken away from me so that that grip on financial security became more tenuous and has become more and more tenuous over the over the following years so how did you sort out accommodation and finances when you left what, what did you end up with yeah so we'd bought an investment property and uh, a, a bit of foresight from me had bought an investment property that would be able to be divided and so I actually rent out half of my home um, and that contributes to paying for the mortgage. That allowed me to stay in the same suburb and my, my child to stay in the same school and all of those sorts of things and and help me pay with that pay that mortgage. So yeah. And have, has discrimination been a feature of your experience, Lisa, since splitting up? It's really interesting. I think that there's still a lot of stigma. Um, For me personally, there was a lot of shame um, and embarrassment and a sense of failure um, and guilt. (laughs) So all of those emotions came into it. And um, I never wanted to identify as a single mother. Um, You know, I felt like I needed to show that I could do it all. Um, Yeah, and I didn't want to show weakness. Um, Yeah. When you worry about the impact on your kids too, don't you? It's like, what kind of life am I giving them now? Yeah. And then you had some ill health too. How did that add to the mix? Yeah. So uh, we had COVID and I lost my job in, in COVID. Um, so that was that was pretty tricky and uh, had just got a new job and settling into that and going well. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so my ability to actually work and support myself and my son was taken away from me. Again, I'd had some foresight. Um, I'd gone through um, my sister's terminal breast cancer journey. And so I'd seen, she was a solo mum as well. Um, And so I'd seen the financial hardship that she'd gone through and how much stress that had placed on her. So I'd always made sure I had income protection insurance and I had some money in an offset account. So that is how I survived financially. And without that, I, I would not have been able to support my son and I, we would have had to sell the house and, and yeah, who knows what, where we would have ended up. And did you feel that when, when you were trying to kind of get on your feet and set yourself up financially, there were barriers that applied to you that might not have applied to a couple? Yeah, I think, I think in terms of mortgages, um, I was working part-time, um, so the serviceability of mortgages. So I have equity in my home, but for me even now, if I was to want to remortgage, nobody would be looking at me. Um, so I'm kind of stuck where I am um, and unless I want to sell and, and go into, into rental. 
We're speaking with Lisa Hardigan, who's sharing her experience with us. And perhaps there are things that you've encountered too as a single mum. We're speaking about a recent survey uh, by the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children that throws up some surprising facts and some disturbing facts about the experience of single mothers in this country. So, Lisa, how are you feeling about your long-term security at the moment? Mm. My focus is really on the here and now. I think um, having a life-threatening illness uh, changes your focus and I am just working on providing for us for now and getting my son through high school he's about to start high school and so that is my focus Um, after that things don't look great I will need to so my aim is to keep that house for as long as I can but obviously I will need to downsize at some stage. I will never be able to pay off that mortgage. It's far too big. So, um, yeah, so long term, my super is not is not very high. I'm, I'm typical typical mother. I worked part time while he was younger and, um, and sort of sacrificed a lot of the superannuation. So, yeah, I think uh, if I if I look beyond beyond the next five years, things don't look particularly great. And I, yeah. So what, what kinds of things would have helped you, Lisa, or would help you to, to build up that financial security? Yeah, I think there's government support um, for people in rental housing. It would be great to see that support for people who are carrying mortgages as well. Um, so nobody, when, when we apply for benefit, nobody looks at what your outgoings are. And so it's all about income. And because I receive income from the renting out half of my house, then I get disqualified from from everything. But all of that money goes straight towards a mortgage. So, um, and things like uh, medical, ongoing medical costs for me uh, are really significant, and my ability to to work as much as I would like to work is is not. I'm not able to do that now. So, I would love to see. Um, more financial support in terms of um, medications and uh, therapies and those sorts of things Um, and that mortgage support um, in line with the rental support. Yeah, it's a bit disturbing when having cancer is not cheap in this country, isn't it? (laughs) Lisa Hardigan, thanks so much for sharing that with us today. We're speaking about this big new survey that's come out from the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children. Uh, Jenny Jenny Davidson is the CEO of that council. Jenny, how much does stigma and discrimination still exist for single mothers in this country? Because I feel like they're really common now. Surely no one blinks an eye. There are a lot of us out there, Hilary, and um, there are some stereotypes that still linger. So the average age of respondents to our survey was 44 with 1.9 children. And that is what we hear in our service provision as well, is that the majority are 35 to 50 years and they have a couple of kids and they've come out of a long-term relationship. 65% of those have been affected by family violence. So that's a major trigger. Um, and there are still stigmas that single mothers are you know, leaning on the system. You know, those, those awful ideas. Whereas the reality is that, um, you know, almost percent are in paid employment and more are looking for work because single mothers they want the best life for their children and so they know that they can't be leaning on the government system because it doesn't provide a, it's a below income a below um, poverty line income and uh, it equates to dire poverty 
for these families. And in the housing situation that we're in at the moment, that, that was one of the biggest issues of concern for the women that you surveyed, wasn't it? Look, the rental market in particular is really difficult. We've got almost half in the private rental market and we find that in our service delivery. They're not in public housing, they can't get it. And there's lots of single mothers out there paying so much rent that they could afford a mortgage, but they can't get one of those either. Even when they have a deposit, we're finding that financial institutes have very old-fashioned ideas about one-income, female income earners. And so there's definitely uh, some change needed there. And then for a lot of people, the rising rents are putting so much pressure on them in addition to um, the other cost of living um, pressures. Our survey was done before the cost of living crisis. It was done last year and 72% were were, um, experiencing difficulty in in meeting the general cost of living. And that's regardless of their income level. So many of those are, are women working. And COVID had an impact too. I noticed some of the comments pulled out from the survey were like, you know, I I had savings, now they're gone. Uh, I I lost my job, like Lisa Hardigan told us. How much has COVID affected people across the board? COVID hit single mothers particularly hard. And one of the reasons is because so many are in casual employment. And so um, that's because there aren't enough permanent part-time jobs for women with family responsibilities. These women who did our survey, there was over 1,100 of them. So it's a big group, very representative. They have their children on average 12 days a week. That was a surprising thing for me. So there's there's much less 50-50 custody going on here. And there are there is 50-50 and there are couples making it work, but a lot of women have their children in the Monday to Friday work week. And that has an impact on on the work available and the need to be available to your children, to pick ups and drop offs and after school activities or just not wanting to work extreme hours. So the casualisation of the workforce in COVID meant, first of all, those those industries were some of the first decimated, but the other really difficult thing was having no leave to draw on. And if you have to homeschool or childcare centres are closed, then you had to give up paid hours and those jobs weren't always there to go back to. It was uh, heartening to see some little positives come out in this survey. So one of them was that the parenting payment has been restored to people whose kids are up to age 14 instead of cutting off at age eight as it kind of got retracted to. How much will that help? It is higher than the um, job seeker. So women used to be transferred to job seeker when the youngest child is aged. Now, That's not as much income, but also it's an unemployment benefit. Women are not unemployed if they're looking after their children. They they are um, doing unpaid care. And our society doesn't respect that very much, unfortunately. And so JobSeeker was lower and also it doesn't allow you to earn as much. Parenting payment single is still below the poverty line, even with the add-ons like rent assistance and family tax benefit, but it does allow you to earn a bit more before it's cut. And we need that. We need women to be able to balance their government income, which may be reliable, with what could be a low or a varying casual income. We're getting lots of texts coming in, 0418 One says, single dad here, going through the same issues, although luckily healthy. Big, big bit of luck there. And we should ask Jenny about single fathers and other genders um, because, you know, there are a lot of different single parents out there. Are you seeing particular problems affecting women or is that discrimination and disadvantage across the board? Where 80% of single mother households, um, according to ABS, so the, the ones that have the majority care are are female-headed. So single-parent households. Single-parent households, sorry, yes. 
Um, so single fathers have some of the same challenges, especially around the juggles, around the fact that one one adult to do everything to run a household is tricky. Trying to provide a suitable home with enough bedrooms for whatever your salary is, is tricky. Around the poverty, this is where we see the feminisation of poverty in Australia, particularly. It's the single mother-headed households that are having all those gendered impacts like lower wages or concentration in lower, in female um, you know, generally female areas like hospitality, retail and the caring sector, which are all lower paid. So 37% of single mother households across Australia are in dire poverty. Another text that was fascinating, Jane in Ballarat says, I don't want to sound naive, but I've never understood why such financial burden falls on the mother after a split. Are separated fathers not required to contribute enough to the upkeep and proper raising of their children? They should be required to provide sufficiently towards the accommodation or home their kids are living in. Now, one aspect to that is that you've got to make two homes. Both of you are going to be struggling financially. But the other one is that apparently there's $7 billion in unclaimed child support going on in Australia. What's happening there, Jenny? Well, the child support system is is really in need of a major overhaul. There's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of, of paying parents who do pay child support, but there's a lot of child support that either isn't paid or it's not paid in full or it's not paid on time. And it really impacts on the poverty in these families. Uh, there's a lot of um, avoidance at different levels, like not putting in a tax return. And that should be necessary. I mean, we're all required to do that. We need something, we need an overhaul of the system, such as linking your child support to your credit rating. So we talked a little bit before uh, with Jenny Davidson, CEO of the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children, and Lisa Hardigan, who's a single mum who's been in this situation, about precarious housing. What might help with that, Jenny? We certainly need more uh, affordable housing, more public housing. The governments are investing more now, but there has been such a dearth in, in investment in that area. You know, a 10-year waiting list, how does that help anybody? Uh, the private rental market is, you know, uh, single income applicants simply can't compete with double income applicants. Some of that's around the algorithms in place or discrimination in, in um, actually at the, you know, the shop front. So we need to overhaul that area. But there are also, we need to reduce the barriers for single mothers to get into home ownership because it has that long-term benefit. With so many, almost 90% of our survey respondents were concerned about their long-term financial well-being, whatever type of income they have. If we can help women to get into housing ownership, home ownership and to stay there. So something like mortgage assistance, which Lisa was referencing that would be like rental assistance, time limited for those periods when there are pressures as many families are feeling right now and it's in there's a return on investment for the community overall to keep people in their housing. That's interesting because we got a text saying assistance for people buying a million dollar asset. No, this is outrageous. But th- th- you say there is a, a return on investment for the community as a whole because people aren't going to be uh, costing the state by, by being in insecure housing? In the long term, uh, if we can keep families... Um, in a better financial situation, then they don't draw on the system as much, and particularly something like homelessness. And given that older women are, are you know, the fastest growing group of homelessness, that's very expensive to support and resolve. And when we talked about the employment challenges, uh, the casualisation, the precariousness of part-time work, h- how do we change that? Is that about employers offering more flexibility and security, or is it about a bit more top-down government-level change? We need a bit of both. So all government payments are really too low 
And they also need to allow people to earn a bit more and, and ensure their financial stability before they're cut, before they lose their healthcare card, which has a high economic value for families. And it takes a while to build up enough to feel secure, doesn't it? You've got to, you know, cover the rego and the insurance and things every so often and you keep going backwards before you go forwards. That's right. And we also do need employers to reverse that casualisation. We need more family-friendly jobs. There's a lot of people out there with caring responsibilities and in an ageing society, there is going to continue to be more people. Whether they're caring for someone with a disability a child with a disability or someone else or they're caring for an elder or their children. This affects lots of people. And if we can get workplaces right for single mothers, they'll be right for lots of people. So when it comes to government policy, are there stereotypes about single mothers that are still operating and preventing some of that policy change? I mean, I know we've got a budget situation, so there's that. But how much do you think those stereotypes are working? Well, we have seen some wins this year, but we've had 20 years of welfare to work, which is based on the premise that uh, a job is the best form of welfare. What our survey results tell you is that single mothers are working. We've always known this to be the case. They may be working casually or part-time. Their government uh, benefit, their payment, may be their most secure form of income, but they're already working. We don't need to be pushing people into work. We don't need punitive programs that remove people's autonomy. What we need is uh, supports that are voluntary, genuinely beneficial, and that allow uh, allow parents um, and single parents particularly to map their own course back to paid employment. We're speaking with Jenny Davidson, who's the CEO of the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children, and they've just released a survey of over a 1,000 single mothers around Australia that has some really interesting findings. We've been hearing, too, from Lisa Hardigan, who's a single mum who works in human resources, about the juggle between work and parenting, which is another job, and trying to shore up that financial stability in a in a society and an economy where a lot of us are struggling, single or, or coupled up. A few of the texts that have been coming in There are some single parents who are totally solo in bringing up their kids, but others who call themselves single parents actually have ex-partners who contribute financially, physically and emotionally to the kids' upbringing. This text goes on, the latter are shared parenting, not single parenting. Their circumstances are very different. That's true, and sometimes people differentiate them by saying, you know, you could be a separated parent or a solo parent when you're doing the whole thing by yourself. I tend to think they're all single parents in that category not coupled. Uh, Life Matters solo parenting twins, says another text. Public secondary school set up $1,700 for two sets of uniforms, half of them secondhand. Text and stationery, $700, including bargain hunting op shop for folders and dictionary, etc. Optional, in quoted marks, essential learning fees, $750. Camp, $950. As a working parent, I don't qualify for a healthcare card or uniform concession, which only supplies one school dress per child anyway. Given these costs, my chances of saving for a house deposit are fading fast. Do we also need, Jenny, a bit more diversity in our policymakers so that they have a bit more of that lived experience that single mothers have? I certainly think that would be helpful, Hilary. In fact, I would really like to think that anyone who is a woman parenting on their own would identify as single mothers because that's how we're going to bring up the profile, that single mothers are diverse and that they're out there doing the best they can for their children in all sorts of different places and and would like to think in decision-making as well. And there are, you know, all sorts of people who are, um, you know, in in the decision-making bodies and MPs who are 
not just single parents, but also children of single parents, and they tend to be able to reflect as adults on the experiences they've had. Yeah. Well, it was interesting too to show that, I mean, the, the survey highlights a lot of the challenges that single mothers face, but also a lot of strength and resilience. Can you tell us about some of the stories that have stuck with you? Well, single parents are very... So our single mothers are very proud of their children, and this is one of the things that really came out. And a lot of them did say, no matter how hard um, lockdown was, that having more quality time together was something that many of them reflected that they really valued. Uh, there is something special about having a relationship with your children that's just you and them. It allows you to control that environment. For people that have come out of a situation of a family with domestic violence, that's really important. Uh, yeah, our children, you know, our, our, our drivers, that's, that's what's causing us all to do the best we can. Yeah, they give you a sense of purpose, that's for sure. Just touching on the staggering numbers of women that you surveyed who had experienced family violence, 67% of them, and that figure rose to 75% for families with a mother living with a disability. What would help there? Because it doesn't sound like it's just about creating more support structures when people leave. Absolutely not. Prevention is key. And there, that is going on in our schools now. Um, uh, how we can embed that in, in our, you know, the generations of... Uh, who are already out there and coupling. I don't know exactly, Hillary, but if we can reduce family violence, we can reduce the number of families that are destroyed by it. Now, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the positives, and one was uh, parenting payment single has been restored to its early level of access. The Parents Next pre-employment program uh, will cease. A lot of people very relieved about that. And we did a story recently about the changes to the Family Law Act that re-centre the interests of the child. How important will that be to single mums? That is so important. The family law system has been punitive uh, and, and many of our survey respondents were unhappy with the outcomes, especially those families where the mother has a disability or is caring for a child with a disability and our um, First Nations respondents. We uh, we have been very happy to see the changes come through. We've written seven submissions in seven years on the family law system and there have been so many recommendations that haven't been taken up until now. The, this idea that um, putting the, the that it should be around shared care regardless of circumstances is actually a misinterpretation and it's had devastating consequences for some families. So it does need to be centred on the best interests of the children. Really interesting text to finish up with our discussion here. Stereotypes still affect single mothers when it comes to social activities around school, etc. Couples generally don't include or invite single mums, says this texter, to the detriment of their kids' social life. That's not been my experience, but that sounds terrible if you're going through that. Uh, perhaps parents with mortgages can have a version of the pension loan scheme where capped loan drawdowns repay the government upon the sale of the property. One idea there. And this one from Kate Crucial to teach your girls that a man is not a financial plan. And she says women need to stay in the workforce. Big gaps in employment are a barrier to uh, re-employment. Oh, that sounds lovely, Kate. I look forward to your presentations to employers and government on that one. Uh, and yeah, it's a bigger issue, isn't it? Because if you have kids, that's the reality. You're going to be having gaps in your employment. You're listening to Life Matters on RN. Jenny Davidson, Lisa Hardigan, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, Hilary. Jenny Davidson's the CEO of the Council of Single Mothers and Their Children. Lisa Hardigan is a single mum who works in human resources and is doing the juggle, keeping it all together. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.